Hi everyone, welcome to the Cult I Left Behind podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Briggs, and I'm here to tell you my stories of growing up in the IBLP cult, which you might know from the Duggar family. And I'm your other host, Kyle Briggs. I'm Amanda's husband, and I have not heard most of these stories before, so stay tuned and we'll all get traumatized together. Welcome back to the next episode. We are mixing it up a little bit today, and we are doing our first ever Q&A session. So we've got a handful of questions (laughs) that have come in either in person or through email or Facebook. I think that's... Oh, and the website. Someone submitted through the website. We had one, I think, through the website. So Mostly direct messages on social media. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's dive right in. The first question. We're just going for it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) First questions from Maureen. Okay. And she says, in regards to Chris, do you think that she cried about what happened because the idea of her child being victimized in that way was just gut wrenching and heartbreaking? Or was it the twisted theological idea that somehow you were now damaged goods for your future (laughs) husband and therefore wouldn't be able to marry you off to a good little Christian boy. Okay. So I think this is in response to episode, which one is the abuse continues? I think five. Five. Yes. That is episode five. Okay. And I think in that episode, I talked about how my bio dad, Rick told me not to talk to Chris about the abuse because it made her cry. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what the question is referring to. Um, (laughs) you know, Rick and Chris always made what happened to me about them. So I, I don't know if it was cause you know, oh, is she going to be able to marry me off to a good little Christian boy? I think it was probably a lot more nuanced and complicated in, in terms of like, oh, the family shame and oh, if this ever got out and oh, how horrible because we've you know, chosen to live this very public cult lifestyle. I mean, obviously she didn't think of it as a cult, but there was a lot of concern from extended family about not sending us to public school or any school and, you know, homeschooling us despite neither Rick or Chris being, neither Rick nor Chris being qualified educators or anything like there was, I think they had a lot at stake because they'd put the whole family reputation out there very loudly, very publicly, that we had chosen the best way, the right way to do life. Not just, you know, homeschooling or whatever, but life, all of life. Because keep in mind, IBLP covers every facet of life. So we had the right way, God's way about everything. So the emotion that I saw expressed when I was older was not, oh, I'm so sorry you went through that, how horrific, how horrible it was. This is just so bad for the family. So it was just more personal for her. Like she yeah. just didn't want the image. Yeah. And like, okay, so I I talk about this, I think quite a bit in my book and in other training I do. It is totally okay to feel devastated over your child's traumatic experience. That's mm-hmm. called secondary trauma. That's normal But you're not supposed to play that out in front of your kid. There are appropriate emotions to show your child Mm -hmm. about their trauma and how you feel about it because you have to model for them, you know, appropriate anger, appropriate sadness, putting the blame on the perpetrator, all that kind of stuff. The emotion I saw was never that. It was was always just, you know, poor us, poor family, this really messed up the whole – we're the perfect family with the perfect everything image. So it sounds like she was just sticking her head in the sand and just didn't want to acknowledge that at all. I don't know. Cause I wasn't allowed to talk with her about it until I was much right. older. But when I did, it was always like, how dare you bring this up? Mm-hmm. I mean, how could you bring this up? Yeah. How selfish of you? <laughs> yeah. And that, so I guess that's what I'm playing off of. Like she just didn't want to talk about it. And so Mm. Was it, or do you think that was just because she was sticking her head in the sand, or was that some twisted cult thing, and that was that was Rick's job to handle it, and she didn't want any part of it? Oh, that's a good question. 
What I saw of Chris is that she was really great at playing the victim. So everything was always an offense against her, you know? Mm -hmm. So she was always the victim of everything. I, I would say if she, if we term it, you know, she buried her head in the sand. Um, I think she was <laughs> knowingly neglectful, but I think it had less to do with like the husband, wife, man, woman dynamics of the cult and more to do with like, just her generalized woe is me attitude mm -hmm. toward life. Like this might sound harsh to people, but frankly, I don't really care. I think it's the truth. <laughs> I don't think she was fit to be a mother. She was so, she had so much work to do on herself when I knew her. It, it was almost like a crime that she had children. She was not fit to um, provide any sort of home environment. Uh, she was not a nurturing person when I knew her. Like, yeah, I just, I don't think she should have had kids. I think she was a child and she needed to grow up. Okay. <laughs> well, I think that answers that question. So we'll move. You guys can kind of tell I don't like her very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. So the next question comes in from Samantha. She says, they talk about blanket training in the docuseries mm -hmm. Shiny Happy People. Did your bio parents ever do blanket training with any of your younger siblings that you remember? Yes, I think so. But I don't think it was quite as like malicious as the, um, I think it was Lori Voller who taught blanket training. So we'll get into this a lot more in the discipline episode, but like, Lori Voller's version of blanket training was you tried to lure the kid off the blanket and then punish them if they moved from mm -hmm. the blanket. I think I don't think Chris tried to lure kids off the base off the blanket. I think that they got spanked or reprimanded or whatever if they got off the blanket, but I don't think she tried to lure them off that I recall. Um blanket training was a big part of going to like the big annual conference in Knoxville, they had this special area with like big screens where families or parents with small children could go to watch all of the sessions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was like blanket training central because it was, you know, there were some chairs for the adults, but you'd bring the big blanket and you put the babies on it. And that's where you'd hang out. <laughs> so they were like publicly doing this. It was like oh, yeah. multiple parents with children their children in this room and they're all doing the same thing. Like, Yeah. There was one time I didn't feel like going to pre-excel. I just wanted to stay with my bio parents. So I spent one of the conference days with them and some of my younger brothers and we all had to stay on the blanket. Wow. Yep. That's crazy. <laughs> Why? Why is that crazy? <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense that like, you would have an area for all the adults to congregate that have children and they, you know, that gets the kids out of the main conference. So you don't have the yelling and screaming and, mm -hmm. you know, lot logistically Shaming their parents. Well, logistically that part makes sense. But if in that room, what they're all doing is the same discipline technique. Like I'm going to lay a blanket out mm -hmm. and put a kid on there and mm -hmm. then discipline them whenever they move off of it. And they're all doing the same thing in one room. Like that's, creepy and huh. crazy it like yeah i you know, guess it, it is would, like it's different <laughs> it was if, very quiet too well, it was I a mean, pretty quiet room <laughs> i wonder why yeah but i mean it's like they're not showing up and like oh they're gonna put their crib down and their kid's gonna play in the crib or a playpen or something like or that i guess like you go other places in the child-friendly area the kids are like running around together playing mm -hmm. and, nope we yeah. got a blanket we sat on the blanket that's crazy. Okay. The only good thing about that day was there was concessions in mm -hmm. that building. And that wasn't something in the other building, like the main conference area. And you know, those little, those little like licorice nub things, mm. like the little squares, not the long strands, like the little square licorice pieces. I, I don't. Anyways, Rick went to concessions and got a whole brown paper bag full of them, like a little lunch bag full of them and we all got to eat little licorice nubs on the blanket. That part was okay. That, <laughs> that was sounds fun. good. <laughs> all right. Next up we have a question from Laura. 
Okay. Do you see any way that your bio family could come back into your life or is that not even something you would want <laughs> if it were ever offered? Okay. So this question, I get asked this question basically anytime I publicly speak and tell my story. So I'm really not surprised that that question made it into this list. Um, okay. So that <laughs> it used to have a different answer. Let's do a little recap. So my whole family, like sides with my brother, including extended family. I, the case concludes, um, November of 2017. And then sometime in 2018, like months and months and months and months later, I get a, an email or a text or a call or something from one uncle. And he's like, Hey, I would really like to talk to you. I know I failed you. I'd like to have a conversation and apologize to you. And I would like my coach to be on the line to like, make sure I don't mess this up. And my criteria back then was always like, Hey, I will consider letting people back into my life. If they can recognize that like my brother should have been held accountable and I didn't do the wrong thing by mm-hmm. reporting him. Like if they can support me in that and if they can acknowledge that they failed to support me and in fact supported him and if they can demonstrate the things they are doing to basically be better people, like to heal whatever made them support my brother instead of me. So I agreed to the conversation. My uncle and his coach and I got on a conference call And he explained to me that there were some things going on in his personal life at the time that I reported that kind of just compounded and made the whole thing overwhelming. Like he was just very overwhelmed at that point in his life. And he was like, I know that that's not a good excuse for abandoning you, but I want, and and I'm not trying to make an excuse, but I want you to know the context between why I dropped around, why I dropped out of your life. And over the last couple of years, like I've been working with this coach and working through all the stuff that, you know, was, was part of why I disappeared. And I've been trying to have conversations with the family about this and we all should have supported you. And I was wrong to not like vocally loudly support you. Can you forgive me? I was like, yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. And he and I started like tentatively rebuilding an uncle niece relationship. And it was nice to have someone who knew all of the players in my bio family, immediate and extended. It was nice to have someone to call on Christmas and be like, hey, your family, Merry Christmas. Because I also went through a divorce right around that time. And then, you know, we. We collaborated on some stuff professionally around the topic of like organizational culture and trauma-informed stuff. And that was cool. Um, so this is the uncle you've seen uh, in the past few years, right? Yeah. And you, you've even met him. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've made time to see him when I was in the area he lives and I was out there for work and stuff. Okay, so then we have to pause, I guess, and explain that my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, were were not what they needed to be when I reported. They were not what they needed to be. And that was that was really sad to me because they were like almost all of the good memories from my childhood. Mm-hmm. And their home was a very safe place for me. And for the first like 10 years of my life. I lived five minutes from them. I saw them constantly. And, you know, my grandpa, so this is Papa, the Italian we've talked about who like, you have to eat everything he cooks or, or you hate him. Um, he had horses and I mean, he put me on a horse the first time when I was three, scared everyone to death and I was hooked. So, I mean, I just had really good relationships with Papa and Grandma. Um, They were very, very influential and important people in my life. I mean, Papa was a huge reason I joined the military as an adult because I would would trail around his VFW meetings and I would march with him in parades and I'd wave my little flag and he was the colonel and I was going to be just like him one day and... 
I mean, they were incredibly influential people in my life. Um, and they went very, oh, we're going to be neutral and love everyone and support everyone when I reported my brother. But how that played out was they showed up for Andy and they helped pay Andy's bail and they were at his arraignment and they were at his, you know, different court hearings and I was chop liver. Like they, they called on me. They called me a couple times. They came to see me once, but they didn't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then eventually they just were gone. They just kind of faded off into nowhere. So in 2020, right before the pandemic, I reconnected with them. I had decided I'd, I'd heard from my uncle that they were both, um, recovering from stints in the hospital. I mean, they were, they were both almost 90 and I made a decision to like create a loophole because it's my life and I can, um, and give them an exception to to allow them back into my life in some capacity, even though they were not exhibiting the behaviors and saying the things that I required to be back in my life. Because, and I made that exception because they were such important people in my childhood and they were such safe and loving people in my childhood. So I flew out to see them like literally right before the pandemic started. And I I straight up told them like how you handled that really hurt me. And they they did the very cop out. Well, we're sorry you feel that way. But we had a nice day. Like I was there for one day. I flew in, I spent the day with them, I flew out. Like I was I was not sure how that was all going to go, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> I didn't stay. I didn't stick around long. Um and then Kyle, you and I went out to see them in 2021 after the pandemic had simmered down. It was mm -hmm. like a year and a half after my initial visit to them. And we had dinner together again. And I haven't been in close, constant contact with them, but like they can call me, I can call them, you know. Um, I let them know when Kyle and I got married and I sent them some photos and stuff. So out of nowhere, a couple, was this a couple months ago now? I so, yeah. I, I got a call from them and they were like, hey, we're having a 70th wedding anniversary party and, and we just, we wanted to invite you and Andy's going to be there and your family's going to be there, but we just wanted you to know you're included. And if you don't come, that's okay. And I like just pro tip, never do that to a survivor, like never invite them and the perpetrator to the same event, like for the love of God, please don't. That's like a whole section in the book I wrote. <laughs> It's just really not cool. Don't do it. So I, I didn't say that to them. I was like, um, let me think on this and I'll get back to you. And then I texted my uncle and I was like, ha ha ha. You'll never guess. Pop and grandma invited me to the thing, even though Andy's going to be there. Kind of like, LOL. When will they ever learn? Um, and he immediately called me. He was like, they invited you because it was my idea. So if you're going to be mad at anyone, be mad at me. And I was like, what? And okay. The other thing you have to know about this uncle is he was, when I, <laughs> when I wrote my book about having a healthy and helpful response to sexual assault survivors, I put it through a lot of test groups, a mm -hmm. lot of test groups. And there were different categories of test groups, like friends of survivors, colleagues of survivors, family members, people who've never met a survivor that they know of. Um, and my uncle agreed to be in the test group for folks uh, of folks who were family members of a survivor and family members of a perpetrator. <laughs> so like he had read the book, the whole thing. He had provided comments and feedback. He and I had worked collaboratively on some other stuff around this topic. Like the man knew my stance on survivors and perpetrators and inviting them to the same event. And he had gone to my grandparents and told them they should invite me. And he told me his justification was, well, Amanda, you're strong now. You could just go there and be like, fuck you guys. I love Pop and Grandma and I'm here for them. <laughs> I don't know if I should be ashamed of or proud to admit it, but I like straight up yelled at him. Was like you know better. Mm -hmm. You have read my book. I think like chapter seven. I think it's chapter seven. Like you read that, and it said, and and like, oh. And then after I got off the phone with him, it really hit me like, oh my gosh, I'm strong now. I'm strong now. No, I have been strong the whole goddamn time. Thank you very much. 
You were pretty hot about that. I one. still am. <laughs> um, and so I told him I needed some time and I haven't heard from him since. And I'm, I'm not intending to reach out. Like that was, I, I hold people to different standards depending on how educated they are. Um, and my uncle had complete access to my views on this topic and mm. my training around this topic. My grandma, like, <laughs> she worked for um, the Catholic Church, like, at a very high position to to not, like, to protect her anonymity a bit. I won't say where. But it was, like, a, a pretty significant position for a really long time. And after the the Catholic priest sex scandal happened, I think she had, like, hundreds of hours of training in healthy and like healthy response to sexual assault and best practices. And that was before I told the family and before I reported my brother. Um, but she still did not handle it well. And my, you know, my aunts who were public school teachers who I know had training on this stuff, they didn't handle it well. So my grandma is the only person for whom I have made any sort of exception. Um, but I do hold people to a higher standard the more education they have. And for me, with that, like my uncle crossed the boundary completely with that. Um, yeah. Encouraging my grandparents to invite me to an event where the person who raped me hundreds of times would be present because, quote, I'm strong now. <laughs> and I feel like that's just such, just such a common sense thing. Like mm, you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But it's not. <laughs> You know how many times I've been invited to events with the perpetrator by family members? Like, oh my gosh, one of my brothers wanted my ex-husband to stand up in a wedding party with Andy in the wedding party while the court process was actively going on. Is that, I mean, it still blows my mind. Like, it just seems so, it just seems so illogical. Mm. Is that really more prevalent in family dynamics? Like, yeah, is it, are friends is like, less not, likely to do that to you? Um, depends on how emotionally intelligent they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it should be common sense, but like, I'm not alone in these sorts of stories. There are so many mm-hmm. survivors with whom I've spoken over the years who have similar stories where you're just like, are people that dumb? Like what is going on? Humans. So, all right. So that's my, my uncle and my grandparents. Um, I actually saw my bio parents in 2019. So I was stationed in California for a while in 2019. And my other grandpa, my paternal grandpa, who had also been a very positive and significant influence in my life. He was also a career military member, also a big part of why I joined the military as an adult. I was I was not able to make it to his funeral. He died, I believe, when I was like 13 to 15, somewhere in there. And I mean, it was just expensive to fly that many of us to California. Imagine. So I think like, I think Rick went, maybe one of my older siblings, I don't even remember. So I'd never been to his gravesite or anything. So I decided that while I was in California, I was going to get in service dress and go find and salute his grave. And I might cry talking about this. I'm sure that's very emotional. Like it really you, was. <laughs> you're close to him and you wanted to go there for the first time. And now you're in uniform. Yeah. He would Andy. have been so proud. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't find his grave. I was Googling it and I, I was trying to find like Rick's siblings and find their phone numbers or email addresses or something. And eventually after like months of searching, I gave up and I just emailed Rick and Rick, I think. And I was like, I would like to visit grandpa's grave. Where is it? And he emailed back pretty quickly and was like, this is where it is. Um, And he, they still like refer to themselves as my parents. So they were like, he was like, mom and I would love to come visit the grave with you if you will allow us to. And I thought about that for a really long time. And I don't even remember everything that that went into the decision to say yes. But I put out a lot of boundaries and I was like, I don't think of you as my parents anymore. You need to recognize that. Like to me, you are Rick and Chris. If you want to fly all the way to California to spend an hour with me at the cemetery, that's on you. But I, that's all the expectation you can have for this. Like because they wanted to do other stuff. And I was like, if things go well at the cemetery, then maybe we can have lunch together. And if 
lunch goes well, then okay, I can I can maybe take you both on base because they they both grew up military brats and both of their dads at different times or the same time, I don't know. Um, but they were both stationed at the same base. So they both had memories of this base and wanted Mm -hmm. to see it again. And they can't get on base. Obviously, I can get on base. So they were like, well, maybe we could all go there together. And I was like, if lunch goes well, then we'll consider that. But like, let's just see. I had a friend who came with me to see them so that I wasn't alone. And that was helpful. Um, I met up with them in uniform at the grave site. Um, I didn't feel like hugging either of them. Like these are not safe people to me. Like these are, these are very dangerous people to me. Uh, so I think I shook Rick's hand and I don't remember if I shook Chris's hand, but she was like very emotional, but Chris, Chris's tears have always been manipulative. So I didn't really know what to make of that. Um, we said, hi, we all went out to the grave site. They had a book for me of like, my grandpa's records, like military records and some photos and um, some stuff like that, that they gave me. And we all walked over to the site together and then everyone left and gave me some time alone. So at that point, you, you weren't even trusting Chris's emotions. You oh were just gosh, like, this no, is never fake. have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they didn't do anything stupid. So I agreed to go get lunch with them. So um, I think we went to Panera. And I changed out of uniform back into civilian clothes. And we had very surface level conversations about work and. Um, Which you hate. <laughs> yeah, I don't like service conversations, but I wasn't going to share much. I mean, I told them a little bit about what I did in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't pick space operations that was chosen for me by a three star general, but. Rick always wanted to be an astronaut. So I think maybe that was the first time in my life I'd ever impressed the man because I was doing space operations for the military and they didn't do anything stupid at lunch. So I agreed to take them on base and we'd been in separate cars for all of this. Um, but, and, and they, I had them drive over to the base in a separate car cause it was a bit of a hike. And when we got there, they had to get into my vehicle to be driven on base. So they got in my car and, you know, I get saluted when I drive on base and they thought that was like the coolest thing. And I was like, (laughs) I don't know. I guess it felt good, honestly. Uh, So Mm. I took them around base and then took them back out to the parking lot to their car. And then they were like, well, Amanda, you know, we'd really love to, to see if there's any way you could let us back into your life. And I was like, okay, I will think about that. If you will also agree to think about all the ways that you failed me as parents. How did that go? (laughs) That's a big, big bomb to drop. Granted, they deserve it, but. Oh yeah. Um, I don't really, I don't think they really said much. And then I did not want to hug them. But Chris started crying. She was like, can I hug you? And like, I knew it was probably the last time she was ever going to see me. Mm-hmm. Um, because the way they were talking already in that little conversation, there was there was more dialogue than what I described. But the conversation around like, we want to be back in your lives. I could already tell like, they have not changed. Yeah, they haven't. They haven't changed. Haven't grown enough to. Yeah. So I, I knew it was probably the last time they were going to lay eyes on me. And I did not want Chris to hug me and I did not want them to touch me, but sometimes, sometimes I'm too nice. So I agreed and Chris gave me a very tearful hug and then Rick hugged me and told me he would love me with his dying breath, which was very dramatic and I wish I could believe it. And then we all drove our separate ways and I spent months thinking about it. Like that was... August, and I don't think I emailed them again until probably November and told them like, hey, all right, I've been thinking about what you said about wanting to be back in my life. And I laid out all the criteria. And it, I mean, it was boundaried. It was logical. It was like if I if I shared the email on social media, which I don't plan to, but I think any objective person would look at it and be like, yeah, that's reasonable. And 
boy, howdy, did they fire back. Well, we've already apologized enough for stuff in the past. And we've already said, blah, blah, blah. Like we told you once that we knew we were wrong. And, and you're just, I don't know. Then that was, that was Rick. And then I emailed back something with, wow, it's very obvious. You guys are not at a place that's safe for me to be in your life. And then Chris fired back something really snarky. And it was like, ah, Here's the Rick and Chris I know. (laughs) Here they come. (laughs) The truth comes out. So I sent them another email and I was like, California was goodbye. And I'm good with that. And I haven't heard from them since. And I haven't reached out to them since. And I know someday I'll find out they died and that's going to be really weird. Um, But I don't don't need them. I don't want them. I, I miss the idea of having biological parents who are in my life, but I don't miss them. And then my brother, Adam, who is the one that's four years younger than I am, randomly reaches out to me at the be- like early 2021. Hey, my wife and I just had a daughter and and that's been making me think a lot about you and how everything was handled and the fa- how the family handled everything that happened with you. And, and I'm realizing that I was probably wrong. And I just want you to know, like, I'm, I'm thinking about this and working on it. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's like generally it. And I, I had gotten to the point of like no expectations of the bios. Right. So I messaged him back. I texted him back and I was like, Hey, congrats on the baby. Happy you're growing. Keep me posted if you want to. Like (laughs) zero expectations. And so we did. Like we had a very long conversation over 2021, sometimes with like months in between. But then my book came out in April of 2021 and and he bought it and said he read it like multiple times. And um, he listened to some podcasts I was on around the topic of sexual assault and family response and stuff. And he was like, I'm learning, I'm growing all this stuff. And I had made plans in October of 2021 to go visit the grandparents that mm-hmm. were like kind of the ones I made the loophole for. And I talked to them and I was like, what would you think if I invited Adam and his wife? And they were like, we'd love that. So I told Adam he was he and his wife were welcome to come. But like, hey, let's keep this very surface level. Like we are going to need to like if you want to be back in my life if we're going to be anything again in communication anything again like we're gonna have to have the hard talks and he was like agreed and i was like but like pop and grandma's house for dinner is not the time so let's just let's talk about what you do for work let's let's talk about how cute your baby is and i can give you some generic updates on me and and that'll be a nice evening and he was like totally agree i'm fine with that so i um I had met his wife. She grew up in, not in the cult, but like in the homeschool community. She and Adam were dating when I reported and she and her family sided heavily with Andy. But I was like, you know what? I can, we're all grownups now. People change. Let's give it a shot. So, I mean, we had a, we had a nice evening. Their daughter's super adorable. And I had a gift for her and stuff like a baby present. And they they thought that was really sweet. And at the end of the evening, I walked them out to their car and I was like, hey, I think if if you guys are interested in continuing to like basically get to know each other again, um, I am going to have some questions about mm-hmm. how you two specifically handled this as a couple. And I was like, because Lauren, you're part of this now. Like as as Adam's wife, like <laughs> you're in it too. <laughs> so they're they're questions for both of you. And I'm gonna need to talk about that if we're gonna move forward. And they were like, absolutely, you know, totally. So I was like, okay. So we said goodbye. And I took a couple weeks and thought thought through it. And I sent them what, like five questions that are, they were very straightforward, <laughs> very simple. Like, was the family wrong <laughs> to support Andy instead of me? Or or was – I forget. how I didn't set them up to fail in how I worded it. I put a lot of thought into it. Like, they were, I mean, they were good feeler questions. Yeah. Like, it was just like, where are where you Where are you? Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, then time goes by and I get a text back from Adam like, well, this is really hard and it might take me some months to to think through this and blah, blah, blah. And he talked a lot of culty stuff about like how God was like telling him to or like he felt like he had to obey God by being in relationship with me or something. I was like, hey, I'm. I'm not going to be anyone's spiritual manipulation. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no, just let me know when you have a chance what you think of the questions. And that was two years ago, and I never heard from him again. Yeah. Um. And and like, I think that conversation ended with him being like, "Yeah, well, I will. Let me think about this. It might take me a few months, but I'll get back to you." Mm-hmm. So I've I've basically like let that one go. Um. Their daughter's super cute. I'm kind of sad I didn't get to know her more, but like. I really did manage my expectations well through that. I was a little sad, but I hadn't let myself get my hopes up too high. So that's that's what's happened with my family and our podcast listeners are getting like none of my audiences get that kind of an answer. So, yay. Um but the real brief answer, what I do I have any interest at this point? No. Like I think that there's a window of opportunity when you mistreat a survivor, when you side with the perpetrator, when you abandon the survivor, there is a window where you can come back and make it right. And I think that window for me was about 10 years. Like and I feel like that's a pretty generous window. <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah. But, you know, January 2024 will be 10 years since I reported and I had already you know, the family had already kind of started to kick me out in the couple years before that. And well, like six years, it was, it was a process like the six years before I reported that they were slowly kicking me out. So I like, it's, it's been a while and I feel like I gave them a very large window of opportunity. And I've just noticed in the last year, like that door closed and I, I didn't consciously decide to close it. I just really lost interest and I've moved on and my life is full of healthy people who love me and I am, I'm good with that. Like I don't, I don't need them. It's sad. It's tragic, obviously, but I think they have all demonstrated to me who they really are mm-hmm. through their silence. I mean, 10 years is a long time to even op- leave that door open for them to make it right. Mm-hmm. And after all of that, you see almost no steps in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's kind of natural to just move on. I think it's the best way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, no, I'm not, I'm not really interested I'm not really interested and I'll, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Life is long, but it's, it's not something I really care about anymore. Okay. We actually have a question for Kyle. You get to, you get to go. Oh boy. This is from Kim. I actually have one for Kyle. What advice would you give the partner of an abuse victim? How do you care for yourself while caring for someone who has experienced severe trauma? Really easy question, Kyle. And go. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I had to put a lot of thought into this one. Um, And so I did read this one ahead of time. Okay. And I've written out a response because it, I think it does take a little bit of thought. Yeah, Um, that's fair. So. If it sounds a little canned or like it's I'm reading something, it's because I am. Um, but I wanted to make sure I answered the question to the best of my ability um, and answered it fully. So um, this is what I've got. So this is probably the last question I wanted to be asked because I struggle to provide all of those things to Amanda sometimes. Through therapy, I have learned what I should be doing to provide love and support to her when she is processing trauma. But that is still a journey that I am on. It is not something that comes natural to me because of my own trauma and upbringing. I do know that it takes time, intentionality, and effort to be the proper support person for someone who has experienced severe trauma. And I am by no means an expert in this category, so I will answer this question to the best of my knowledge at this time. So that's a tough question because Amanda has processed that sexual trauma before I met her. Sometimes she will still get triggered by something or have a remnant 
but she's really good at vocalizing that to me so I can respond accordingly to what she needs. Sometimes she just needs space. Sometimes that's a hug and to know that she is safe. I imagine what an abuse victim needs is going to be specific to that person and where they are at in their healing journey. Something we don't seem to talk about enough is that people who experience severe trauma can heal those wounds and live an otherwise normal life and not need any consistent treatment or specialized, never-ending support. However, if you are with someone who is still in the process of healing, it is very important that you, as the partner, provide them grace when they need it and the support they need to continue processing the trauma. And at times, it'll be ugly and they won't be their best self, but you need to empathize with what they are going through and be supportive of the work that they are doing and be able to handle the side effects of them processing trauma. It's a hard task for them, and they need all the physical and emotional support they can get while they try to put that behind them. As far as the second part of the question regarding self-care, um, while being with a person who has experienced severe trauma, I don't think it is any different than a normal relationship. I make sure I take time to do the things I enjoy, take breaks when I need them, and having a large support system for both partners is critical to ensuring that the two of you can, one, get what you need, and two, not get overwhelmed so you can be there for your partner when they need you. You'll have to get creative and think outside the box sometimes if you need to go on a weekend camping trip to reset and clear your mind, but you know you're partner is going to have a bad week or they are having a bad week. Maybe arrange for one of their friends to come stay with you or have your partner go visit them. So that's, that's what I know. I won't say I'm great at that. Um, and that I'm, you know, the model of perfection there. Um, it's something I struggle with. Uh, it's something that causes a rift in our relationship. Like that's something I have to improve on. Um, so that's what I've got. I hope that answers your question. I think you are really good at the self-care part. And I think you're really good at knowing when your battery is low and you need to recharge it and communicating that to me. And I, I, I feel like I do very well when I'm in that headspace. It's very, it's very critical for me to understand where I'm at because Mm -hmm. I can be empathetic and supportive when I'm like not burned out, when I'm Mm -hmm. not overwhelmed with work or Mm -hmm. there's like nine different projects that are still going on at the house. Mm -hmm. And like, it just takes up all that brain space and I'm like anxious or, you know, I have to put myself in a position where I'm not feeling all these other emotions so that I can like empathize. And I hope that that like, I hope that that normalizes the struggle for a lot of people. Because being a partner to someone who has experienced severe trauma can be very difficult. And Kyle, I think the thing that you're so good at is knowing you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. You're really, you're really good at being aware of like the level of your cup. And the other thing I think you excel at around this issue is when you know something's coming. So like, for instance, this wasn't sexual trauma, but I, well, those of you who listen to this podcast, who actually know me and Kyle in real life, you know, I went through a severe medical situation, 21, 2021, 2022. I almost died in the process of getting to the appropriate doctors. And we knew I was going to have a really significant, big, bad surgery. And we, when we figured out the date, I was so out of it from my illness at that point. But I feel like you you built up for that. Because by the time we got to the hospital, you were like all in. You were, you were totally there. It was your A game. Like you were fully present with me. Everything you did was trauma-informed. Everything you did was wonderful. And I felt so taken care of and loved through that really, really difficult experience. And so I think, I think something that you could probably speak to a lot more is like, Hey, all right, maybe the day to day when it's like coming at you from every direction, like that's just hard for anybody. But if you know, there's a significant event coming up, if you know, it's the anniversary of your partner's rape or other trauma, like 
get your cup filled up. So on that, like on that day, that week, that month, when they're probably really going through it, you have something in your cup to pour. Mm -hmm. And I've seen you do that. I've seen you do that very well. And part of that, so specifically with like the whole surgery thing, I was a wreck until the minute we got in the car to leave because (laughs) I was trying to do that. I was trying to get everything squared away. Mm-hmm. And what I am really good at is that, like, when we got in the car, like, that ship had sailed. I couldn't fix anything else. I couldn't get the house anymore set up. I couldn't do anything else. Mm-hmm. At that point, it was just, let's get you to the hospital or, mm-hmm. you know, to to your surgery. Mm-hmm. And so I could I can drop all of that baggage at that point and just mm-hmm. cut it loose mm-hmm. and then be in the headspace to, like, take care of you at that point. And that is powerful. That is also why I can sleep at night. (laughs) (laughs) I can just like cut that stuff off and, you know, clear mind. I need to be like you. I can't do that. (laughs) But yeah, I think that like, I'm proud of you for just talking about it on the podcast, because I think there are a lot of people who would probably answer that question the same way you do. And it's probably good to know they're not alone. And I mean, most guys are probably like that. Yeah. (laughs) And and I, one thing I really love about you is you're not the sort of man who's like, well, I'm a man and that's just like not what most men are like. So like it's never going to happen. Like you actively work to grow that muscle. and It needs some exercise for sure. I find that attractive. All right. Back to the next question for Oh, I got Amanda. a break. <laughs> that, <laughs> got that, a is that break. the end of my break? <laughs> you got what, like three minutes? <laughs> hope you're ready. Okay. What's next? So this question is from Andy and not your brother, Andy. (laughs) I know this Andy. Yeah. It's not my brother, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) We will not be taking any questions from that, Andy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Andy says, was there any chance of financial support from the cult for having a gazillion kids? I know a family in the cult who have 14 kids and even with pretty good pay, they live in poverty. There was no support uh, that I was aware of ever. And like you weren't (laughs) you weren't supposed to be on any government assistance either. That's hard. Yeah. And and I don't think we ever went to food banks or Mm -hmm. anything. So, no, like the cult did not provide any care or like links to resources if your family was struggling because you had a gazillion kids and not enough money to feed them properly. Yeah. And from previous episodes, I kind of asked this question before of what was around the finances of being in the cult. And it was the opposite. Instead of getting any financial support from the cult, they were like, Oh, here's your, your homeschool material. You need to buy a copy for every Mm -hmm. kid. Mm -hmm. It's, ridiculously priced. You want to yeah. come to our conference. It costs a ton. Oh, you want to be part of the cult? There's there's a fee to join right. the cult so it was the, every year. It was the exact opposite. They were payment. trying to wring money out of you every yeah. last place, like whether that was going to a conference. And you got to pay entrance into the conference for your 10 kids plus two adults or whatever, yeah. or 14 kids in this instance. Like, yeah. no, you don't get like a freebie into the, into the event. Or, you know, they don't even cut you breaks that way. Yeah. So, no, you were just screwed. But you were serving Christ with a ministry (laughs) smile. So that should be everything you needed. That's all the food you need. All right. Next question is from Holly. And I think this is kind of directed at both of us. Okay. Have you thought about interviewing others who've escaped the cult? Yeah. Yeah, we have. We... Uh, put out a call, I think it was last episode, two episodes ago, um, for anyone who has who was part of like Excel, Alert, Verity, Character First, like any of the programs, because I mm-hmm. never attended them. We would love to get people from each program on the show to talk about their experiences. Yep. And I that, that was one thing I was curious of, because you have experiences in the parts of the cult that you're familiar with, like you went to some of the facilities, you Mm -hmm. went to the main campus, some of the conferences, you went to some of the conferences, but you didn't go to all of them and Mm -hmm. you didn't go to, and there's multiple 
facilities around mm-hmm. the country. And you see that uh, in the shiny, happy people docuseries, they kind of show this little map and you can see that there's these facilities across the country and those facilities um, are labeled by uh, like a specific trait or skill that they're trying to teach you there. And you mm-hmm. didn't go to any, yeah. all of the, you didn't go to well, all of those. I went to some of them just, in passing, but not mm-hmm. as a student yeah. of the program. So yeah, if you have an IBLP story you'd like to share, definitely get in touch with us and we can have a conversation because I think that it's important to bring a lot of voices into this conversation to continue spreading the good word of Bill Gothard sucks. <laughs> I'd be, I'm curious to talk to somebody who went to the alert program. Just yeah. Oh, I think so... someone did reach out. I don't know if he would be interested in appearing on the podcast because we hadn't put a, a call out for that yet. But someone who attended Alert did send us a message. Mm, we'll have to chase that one down. Yeah. All right. Next up is a question from Kirsten. She says, after everything you've went through, do you still believe in God? <laughs> and she's not alone. You've got this question from... <laughs> Everybody and their mom. Um, okay. Okay. But she oh, officially sent in the there. question. You guys want to go there. Okay. I believe in the concept of deity. I do believe there is a God, and I do believe it is a good and loving God. I believe that because even though there's a lot of bad stuff in the world, it is also so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the connections that humans can have with each other. That's so beautiful. And I don't know how many times I was never like this as a kid, but as an adult, I got to drive all over the country for for work. I went so many places and I had so many really long car drives, like moving across the country in the military and stuff. I don't know how many times I've been moved to tears by the beauty of this planet And I don't know how many times I've been moved to tears by the intense connection I feel with another person or even witnessing other people's intense connections. Like I've never had a baby and held it in my arms, but like you, you show me any movie or TV show or like home video of a mama meeting her baby for the first time. And I will be like a sobbing wreck because that shit is beautiful. And I do believe I mean, I don't I don't really care about the whole creation versus evolution concept argument. I used to. <laughs> I used to have a whole stance on that. Oh, back in the cult days. You know, evolution, I don't really care how it all came to be. Um I do think that there was an intense and creative something that made the world as beautiful and intense and detailed as it is. So that is why I still believe there is a God. And that is why I believe that God is good and loving because I see goodness and love all around me, even though the world can be very dark sometimes. And I see beauty all around me. All right. Next up, we have a question from Kim. Where do you fall on the religious spectrum these days? Okay, let's go even deeper. Huh? <laughs> um, I I no longer think of myself as a Christian because I no longer believe that organized religion is an overwhelmingly good thing. I have seen it cause a lot of harm. So I don't really like organized religion anymore. I have no real interest in participating in organized religion anymore. However, comma, I I do believe that humans are spiritual beings. And I do believe that spirituality is a very important and integral part of being a person and, and the human experience. So I would say I'm still a deeply spiritual person. And for me, that is that good and loving God but I I kind of cringe <laughs> around Christians a lot. Um, well, at least the fanatical ones. I think mm-hmm. that there are people who identify as Christians who 
have no ulterior motives and and who are really wonderful people and i have a lot of those people in my life and and i i don't necessarily agree with all of their beliefs and faith practices but i respect that it is deeply important and meaningful to them but um yeah i don't identify with any specific religion I'm pretty over the concept of religion, but I'm deeply invested in my own spirituality and in nurturing that part of myself. All right. Next up, we have a question from Laura. Okay. And she says, what effect did this have on your faith and beliefs once you were finally free and healed? Okay. We're just going to keep going. All right. Um, I don't know. Did my last answer kind of sum that one up? Like I no longer, well, this will, this will make all the the Christians pray for my, you know, soul. Uh, but I don't, I don't think the Bible's the inerrant word of God. I think that it is a really interesting piece of ancient literature. I studied it too much to believe it's real anymore. <laughs> so I went um, like real in the way Christians believe it's real. I went to Bible college for four years, and then I went to seminary after that. I have so I have enough credits for a master's degree in theology. I was pursuing a 90-some-odd credit Master of Divinity at the time, and I, I decided that was not the right career path for me about a third of the way into it. And for me, the more I studied and the more I learned about you know, historical context, the less it made sense to me that any religion has it right, or that any religion's book is the inerrant word of God. So that was, that didn't happen overnight. That was a really slow fade. Um, And for a while, I thought that to not believe in, you know, Christianity or some organized religion meant that like, oh gosh, then I guess I can't believe in anything. And, and obviously where I've ended up is, you know, I do believe that each of us is a spiritual being and that spirituality is a profound portion of the human experience that cannot be neglected. And over many years, I kind of learned how to have a spiritual life that wasn't really impacted by a religion. And honestly, that's been hard to let go of the beliefs that were beat into my brain and that I thought I I had to adhere to to be a good person for so long. But I find that I have a better relationship with God and I feel a lot better in my life in general where I am now. And I know that's going to make a bunch of you pray for me, and I appreciate that because I know that means like that's the most powerful thing you can do and the most loving thing you can do, and and I I appreciate that. But I'm I'm pretty good with with where I landed. So I guess yeah. How did it impact my beliefs and faith? <laughs> I, I threw almost all of them out, and um, I've really gone back to. I guess to me, it's like a very raw version of spirituality. Like it's, to me, it's very evidence-based. Like I look around at the world and I'm like, this shit is amazing. (laughs) Like, this is so beautiful. This is so intricate. This is so creative. This had to come from somewhere. Okay. Then it probably came from a divine being. Wow. Just look at the chemistry. Look at, look at how, how detailed things are. Look at things that didn't even have to be there, but they are just because they're pretty. You do that for love. You make things beautiful and exciting and intricate and detailed for love. So that that divine being is loving. You know, you look at just the fierce love good and decent parents have the moment they find out they're they're expecting a child and and you look at well the way Kyle loves me and you look at the people who've come into my life and and become my family and have provided me in an, an environment of unconditional love. Like we must get that from something that, that God must be good. Cause that's, 
that's the good I see reflected around me. So yeah, I think I think it's very beautiful where I've ended up and it's very far from how I was raised. It's very far from what the cult teaches, but I like it. Yeah, and I think you put it as good as you can. Uh, from my perspective, obviously knowing you and living with you, saying that you have a very raw view on that, on religion or spirituality or God, I feel like is a very good way of putting that or a very pure, like your, your views on it, you're embodying the spirit of God very well. Mm. And you're taking away all the core beliefs around religion, Mm -hmm. but just, it's not tied to a specific book or a name Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And so like, it's, it's very pure and raw in that sense. And I think that's where I want to, I want to keep it. Cause you know, the more you study, the more you learn about like, for instance, how we got the Bible, it was a bunch of dudes in politics, like, and, and they, I know what they said. Like I have studied it deeply and I know that, you know, the whole thing about God breathed and all of that. I get it. I get it. But at the end of the day, it was a bunch of politicians who were like, well, this is or isn't going to be in the Bible. And and the emperors who got involved and, and the way different translations were manipulated so they wouldn't piss off whichever British king was reigning at the time. Like, that's just – that's too man-made and messy and political and power-hungry and – it just doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. And and the thing is, like, you look at Jesus in the Bible, the dude was freaking radical. Like, he was hanging out with women. He was hanging out with prostitutes. He was hanging out with sick people. Like, he was not hanging out with the, the theologically elite minds of the day. He was hanging out with real people, and he just loved them. And it's interesting. Um, I heard a comment recently that – trying to remember where, but I can't, you know, people might not like Christianity, but not a lot of people have a problem with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like he acted in very like common sense, loving ways that were counterintuitive to his time. And I really like that. I really respect that. I think that then a bunch of guys, (laughs) a bunch of guys and a bunch of politicians and a bunch of emperors, and then some kings later on, like, they're the ones who twisted everything into the the Bible we have today. So I, I look at it as an interesting piece of ancient literature, but that's not where that's not where I know God loves me. Mm-hmm. It's it's not from that. It's from looking around at the world at face value. And that to me is truth and light and beauty and hope. All right, the last one's a doozy. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) This is the last one. Okay. So the last one comes in from Katie. Okay. And she says, what is the Uh, real difference between a cult and religion? For example, was Jesus technically a cult leader? I remember this one. Okay, so like (laughs) technically I think I've seen all of these, but then I've just – because I messaged people back like, yeah, we'll we'll answer that. And then I gave the list to Kyle and I forgot everything people (laughs) asked. (laughs) But okay, so that one, Katie, such a good question. And we are actually working on an episode – I don't I don't want to give too much away cuz we don't know if it's going to work out yet. But we are working to make that its own episode mm-hmm. with some special features to that episode if mm-hmm. possible. Um cuz that is such a good question. Yeah. We want to spend some time on it. Either way, it will get answered yes. in full. It is a amazing question and I think I think if you hadn't thought of that before, like a uh-huh. lot of times People ask questions. I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. Um, if you hadn't thought of that before, like that is a rabbit hole that you can go down and is just a, a mind twister. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm 
pretty excited to dive into that. Yeah, um, me too. And I think that's going to be a good one. Thank you, everyone, for all the questions. Yeah, that wraps up our Q&A session. Thanks for submitting your questions. We will be doing more of these in the future. Yeah. So if you have any questions or if any of these uh, got Spark you, more questions. Sparked more <laughs> questions. Um, you can get on the website, coltileftbehind.com. Um, I think there's a contact page there and you can yep. submit a question. You can leave a voice memo, like kind of a voicemail question if you want to do that. Someone please do that because I want to <laughs> splice it into an episode. I think that would be so fun. We were very excited when we could add that feature to the I website know. and no one's used it yet. So That's so sad, people. This is your challenge. Go on there, leave us some voice memos. <laughs> so that we can include uh, you in the next Q&A session. Thanks for making this a really great, interesting Q&A session. And uh, I'm exhausted now, <laughs> but those were some really great questions. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Cult I Left Behind. Until next time, don't join a cult. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe, and we will catch you on the next episode.